Hello and welcome to episode 6 of Whiskey Talk from the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. I'm Richard Gosselin, editor of the Society's members magazine, Unfiltered. It feels a little bit like we're still recovering from the various festivals we're at throughout May, with the Society holding events and masterclasses at the Spirit of Speyside, the Campbelltown Malts Festival and finally at the Isla Festival. In the last Whiskey Talk, we chatted to some of the members who'd made it along to the Society's open day at Isla House. But in this episode, I wanted to cast our net a little wider and bring you the conversations we had with some distillers and what they're up to, from Glen Scotia in Campbelltown, the Isle of Jura's one and only distillery, and Isla's brand new Ardna Ho. Let's start at the foot of the Kintyre Peninsula, where our very own Mad Schmall found time with Glen Scotia's distillery manager and master distiller Ian McAllister to get the buzz about why they've recently adopted 100,000 bees. Natural progression. The bees are obviously a, a, a fantastic natural asset and it's something that the distillery is keen to enhance and, and obviously develop. So we've got to do our part. We've got to be kind to the world. So obviously as the distillery progresses and evolves, then it's obviously, it's, why not? Why not? Why not? Indeed. And, and what are some of the benefits of hosting the bees? Well, the workforce has went from 11 up to half a million, potentially. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's obviously, you know, it's, it's um, for us, it's, it's just fantastic to have them here. It's fantastic to um, obviously let them, let them flourish at the distillery. You know, it's something that's never happened before. So um, we just we feel privileged to have them. So one of the questions that I think everyone has kind of been asking about when we've mentioned the bees is um, sustainability and the whiskey industry in general. So how do the bees relate to your plans for sustainability? Well, you're always looking at ways to obviously mitigate your, you know, your impact on the environment. So obviously we've done a, you know, a number of different measures, fuel sources. One, you know, obviously went from heavy oil to gas oil, now on LPG, which is obviously emissions is mm-hmm. considerably lower than other sources of um, fossil fuels and it's the same with the bees the bees are obviously we've got that area a lovely area where they're situated below the cherry trees so the bees is obviously part of that program if you like and it's something that will obviously help us to as i say mitigate what impact on the environment so so that's good Absolutely. And we um, you can't see it, but we actually have a pot of the honey sitting in front of us. Um, so from what I understand, you're actually selling that now in the shop here in Campbelltown. Yes, yes. The, the, be- the bees are obviously, the, the, they've been with us now for a, a few months. So this summer, or the end of this summer, will be the first period where they'll, they'll be able to, obviously, the, the customer will be able to come and get mm-hmm. some honey in the shop. So yes, yes. It's rather been well received, the, the trial samples that we've had, so yeah, it's good. And you mentioned something about whiskey being in the honey, or...? Yes, why not? Little why bit of not? Whis- little, little bit of whiskey in the, the, the honey. 15-year-old, Glen Scotia, 15-year-old. Amazing. Fant- fantastic. Well, I was going to ask how it pairs with the whiskey, but um, there it is, isn't it? <laughs> It's the proof's in the pudding, as they say. Absolutely. The proof's in the honey. You know, it's it's in the taste. So it's yeah, it's it's absolutely lovely. It really is, fantastic results. They really are. 
And, and my final question for you is, is the festival, the malt festival, is really going from strength to strength. So why do you think visitors should make the trek uh, to the foot of the Kintyre Peninsula for the open day? This, for me, this is the home of whiskey. You know, this is a place to come, uh, obviously, to experience whiskey in its, its, its rawest form, if you like. I think, obviously, Campbelltown, as you say, the, the festival's developing. So this is a really good period, if you like, to come and visit the distilleries in Campbelltown and see what it's, what it's all about. And obviously, the the bottom line is the whiskey, you know, so you get some lovely drums here. So, yeah, make the, make the trip and you know, I don't think it'll, you'll find it's been a waste of time. I can testify that it's never a waste of time heading down to Campbelltown. I can now also testify that if you are heading over to Isla, make some time to include a trip to Jura. It's a very short hop on the ferry from Port Askeg to this beautiful little island, home to just one little village and one distillery. That's where I caught up with this. That's where I caught up with distillery manager Graham Logan, who explained how a combination of unlikely circumstances ended up with him living on Jura and working at the distillery. Absolutely not. Definitely wasn't planned. It all started for me in 1987 with Jura. I was in the Royal Navy at the time, and at that very moment I found out where my mum and dad had moved to. I was actually 10 miles off Murmansk, off the north coast of Russia. And I was on a destroyer HMS Liverpool, and we were following the Russian naval exercises in the summer. And we had no contact with anyone for three months, so I didn't know what my mum and dad were up to. And as we came, finished, the session with the Russians, we came back past Norway and we all got mail. Letter from my mum, how are you son? Oh, hope you're doing okay. By the way, we've moved to Jura. I thought, Jura, Jura, I've heard of it, but where is it? Obviously my mum said it was an island, so I knew it was in the Hebrides. Just so happens we came down the coast of Norway. We then came down through the Hebrides, the west coast of Scotland, and we were on our way to Liverpool for a courtesy visit. Just so happens we went down the Sound of Isla. And the captain says there's some lovely scenery upstairs if you want to go and have a look. So I went up and had a look and somebody mentioned that was Isla. I thought, oh, if that's Isla, this is Jura. So I turned around and looked at Jura and I counted four houses. And my heart sank because, oh no. My dad was a shepherd, he was a farmer, dairyman shepherd at the end. My heart sank because we've always lived in the middle of nowhere. And I thought, oh no, there must be about 10 people living on this island. So we went to Liverpool, uh, we did our courtesy visit, and I finally got to visit Jura that December. And so I come off the ferry, it was a beautiful morning, and I remember that. And obviously, as we were driving through Jura, we passed more houses, so I knew, oh, it was obviously. I found out from my mum and dad there was 174 people on the island. And uh, that night I decided to go to the pub. I went down to the pub. I met all the locals and I expected to be sitting in the corner by myself with my pint. Yeah. And it wasn't like that. Everyone engaged with you. Everyone was so friendly. I got invited to a dinner party. I got invited to a party that night. Actually, it was somebody's birthday. And I thought, my goodness, what sort of place is this? You know, why, you know? And actually, I met my wife that night, although we didn't start going out <laughs> until I left the Navy. I met her for the first time that night. Because the whole life 
it, it revolved around the pub. Obviously, this was the days before Wi-Fi and internet and all this. So, if you wanted to talk to people, go to the pub and we'd have a sing song. Yeah. And it was it was just a real hub of the community, and it was a joy to be there. And I've only ever had it once in my life. I felt a real attraction to a place. Yeah. And after that. I wanted to be in Jura. I did another four years in the Navy. Uh, I served in the first Gulf War, then I sort of left my, that then destroyer HMS Exeter. Came to Jura. I finished on a Friday with the Navy. Went for an interview in the Friday afternoon for the distillery. Got the job within five minutes and I started on the Sunday night shift. And that was 28 years ago in 1991. That's amazing. Did you know there was a job going? Was it was that kind of fortuitous that there was a position available? There's no secrets in Jura. It's such a small community, everyone knows your business. Yeah. And I heard through the grapevine. There's always a grapevine in Jura. There's a grapevine everywhere, but in Jura it's usually a, a very accurate one because everyone knows everything else. And I did hear a rumour, but obviously the manager, the same token, heard I was finishing with the Navy and he wanted somebody because I, I was an engineer in the Navy and he obviously wanted somebody for shift work, but with an engineering background. So he heard as well, and he actually phoned me for the, the position. But I did hear it was there, and I was actually formulating a plan how I could how I could speak to the manager. I was actually going to come and visit him. That sounds quite similar to Willie Cochran's story. He, he pitched up, I think he was delivering a car, and ended up with a job which, you know, he, he lasted here uh, the rest of his working life, didn't he? Absolutely. Jura's not an easy place to live. And I can imagine Wally Cochran's, he probably came in the summer when it was, it was busy and there was, there was lots of people about. The true test if you're going to stay in Jura, if you can live amongst everyone and burn a peat stack with them, so that means you're here all winter. If you survive that, you'll survive it. Yeah. You will. Okay. Uh, so what, it's been three years now since Willie retired and you took over. Yes. And big changes in the past few years as well for Jura. The main change we've done, obviously, we've changed the recipe slightly of our domestic range. As everyone knows now, we put a small amount of peat. This takes us back to our heritage. The original Jura would have been a heavy peated spirit. But also we did lots of consumer trials around the world. And we actually found our new consumers didn't have a clue what Jura stood for because we had pure heavy peated range and an unpeated. So after these extensive trials, the community, the community, the company took a big decision and changed the recipe. And actually we sell exactly the same amount of liquid and we're increasing sales. So obviously it's a brave decision, but it's worked. Yeah, and not the first big decision because I mean, I spoke to Willie before and he told me about the, the programme to re do extensive re-racking. Uh, that's going back a while now. So, you know, there's been like really kind of fundamental shifts uh, for Jura uh, over the years. Absolutely. When I started here, we used to fill exclusively into a cask called a hogshead. These hogsheads could be 50 years old. Not a lot of goodness in them. And my first year in 1991, we did 1.5 million litres of production, 1.2 million for blending purposes, 300,000 for Jura. And since the re-racking, and it was almost instant, the, the change in the liquid and Jura's popularity growing, we did 2.38 million litres of production last year, and it was all for Jura. Yeah. And we go 24 hours a day, seven days a week, for, and it's almost 47 weeks this year we're working. Right. And uh, 
and, and, and the brand's really out there. It's, uh, it's so visible. I just saw the new uh, advert. I was just sitting in the cinema and it came on this amazing, glossy production. Wow. Now, the, that was done last October and it shows you the community's feeling for the distillery when of the, we were only allowed to film people over 25 because of the drink laws in the country. And of, I think there was 100 eligible people 70, no, 65 of them took part and actually about 45 made the film. And that shows you the level of, you know, there's a, it's a real community-minded distillery. And, yeah. and people think that as well. Yeah, you know? well, it certainly comes across in the advert. And, you know, you were just telling me that in the summer you've got what, 19 people with working in a job related to the distillery. And that's a fair chunk of the population of the island. Absolutely. It's, we believe it's about... 10% of the actual working age population of the island. And that's a real testament. Everyone wants to work here. It's, a, it's an industry everyone actually wants to work in. It's a growing industry. And I would recommend it to anyone, actually. It was different days when I started. It was a five-day week. And there was malt whiskey wasn't quite as popular now. But as it's grown, I think I've grown as a person with it. And I can understand why. And people want a story with their whiskey. And malt whiskey gives them that story. Yeah, and everywhere's got its own story. Yeah. But 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 Jura, absolutely, it's uh, it's it's unique in, in in the whiskey world because because of the situation and, and exactly what you're talking about that absolutely. sense of being at the heart of the community and being absolutely. so so fundamental to the community. We're so lucky being an only distillery on a single island, and I think if if maybe if there was more distilleries, people would be split loyalties then. But people on Jura seem to love the distillery and see me hold it in really high regard. Yep. And uh, any future plans that you can share with us? We're doing more bottlings. We're always seeing me doing new bottlings. We are doing a cask fill in the distillery shop, which is going to be a first, which will be the first real bottling that's ever been done in Jura. So that should be hopefully along in the next fortnight. We are re-releasing the 21-year-old. It will be... It's getting released actually imminently so and we also have plans to release a 1989 again this year so other major plans we are talking about expansion because Jura very pretty much sells all the liquid we make we are talking about increasing the capacity of the distillery it will be a phased capacity from 2022 to about 2030 so maybe in 2022 we'll build a mash tun some washbacks and maybe just one pair of stills. Okay. And as, hopefully, if the sales increase, we'll then add extra stills, extra washbacks. Yeah. And extra malt bins. And so, from strength to strength? Absolutely. That's a, that's a great testament to the whiskey. It's done really well. The sales team, the marketing, we know, play a, a hand. We've got really nice packaging, and it just catches eye in the distillery bar. Yeah. So you'll, yeah. Be, you'll be here until... You're ready to hand over the reins to someone else? Well, I'm 51 now. I'll definitely keep going to 60. And then I, I fancy doing something like Willie done. He, both Willie's done, actually, Willie Tate and Willie Cochran. And go into a little bit of maybe road trips, maybe do a bit of yeah. brand for Jura around the world. Yeah. yeah. Have you done much of that up to this point? No. I've been very limited. Because we're that busy in Jura, I've been limited. But I've been getting experience. Yeah. I'm getting better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The world awaits. Absolutely. Good stuff. Thanks very much, Cleo. Absolute pleasure. 
My last stop for this episode was back on Isla, which now has distillery number nine up and running in the northeast of the island, with an amazing location looking across the Sound of Jura. Ardnahoe is the long-held dream of independent bottler Hunter Lang and Company. I'll let managing director Stuart Lang tell his story about how the dream was realised. I'm here at Ardnahoe. I'm sitting down with Stuart Lang, who I suppose your dream has come finally come true here. It's been, it's been a long time in the making, but your association with Islad goes back a long way. You, you, you worked here as a young man in the 60s, is that right? I did indeed. I worked at Brooklady, owned by my uncle at that time, so a touch of nepotism allowed me in, and I was in essence a commercial apprentice, going through the whole distilling process, and uh, I had a wonderful six months of my life in what was a hot, sunny 1966. And did that plant a seed that even at that point that you thought maybe one day I'll be back here and I'll have my own distillery? Well, uh, yes and no. Uh, my father had started his whiskey company in 1948 and so whiskey, uh, the life, appealed to me. And it was a gradual decision that this is the way I like. I would like to live my life. Uh, the whiskey fascinated me, the people fascinated me, the travelling fascinated me, the business fascinated me. And accordingly, uh, ultimately, it led to a decision when uh, I left my previous company uh, that uh, it would be the ideal thing. We needed to have our own distillery. Isla was the obvious choice. And uh, mainly because, of course, uh, going back to 1966, my connections here, but specifically the Round Church in Bowmore, whom your listeners will, many of whom will recognise and know, uh, my great great umpteen grandparents uh, were married in 1793 okay. in that church. And uh, a lot of them are now residing comfortably in the churchyard of said church. <laughs> so it was really for me very natural that this is where I wanted to come. Isle of Whiskey, apart from anything being as iconic as it is. Absolutely. So I've come home. Yeah. And tell me a little bit about the, the process of building a distillery from scratch. Quite difficult. I can, I can imagine. <laughs> Quite difficult. Particularly we have certain neighbours uh, who are less than cooperative. In fact, I would go further and say they're totally uncooperative. They had us digging up the ground to ensure there were no Roman soldiers buried underneath the ground. They saw otters, which are protected species, marching across our land. Uh, nobody else saw them, but nevertheless, uh, they had to be investigated. And were probably, they added six months on to that side of it um, and cost us quite a lot of money to get all the necessary documentation. Yeah. However, we're home and dry in that regard. But starting off the initial uh, application to Argyll and Butte was streamlined but still took seven or eight months before we actually got our approval uh, and, and that was a happy day. I'm sure. So how long was the process really from from the initial thought that we're going to have a distillery in Isla to uh, running the stills? Basically uh, three and a half years. Okay. From beginning to, to con conception to finally be in a position to open a distillery on this whiskey island. Yeah. Uh, and obviously as part of the planning you're, you, you've got a vision of what kind of whiskey you want to be producing uh, but how did that influence the the, the, the build of the 
distillery, the layout of the, the still room and, and, well, and the process? Uh, where it influenced the, uh, the style of the whisky was when Jim McEwen uh, became our master distiller, which was very nice for us. I've known him for uh, virtually 50 years. Uh, so uh, again, that was a lovely thing to be able to work with a legend, that is Jim McEwen. He had his ideas about the length of the lime arm and uh, the length of and the length, the, the warm tubs, that he felt that with the increased attachment of the spirit coming out of the still to the copper, it was going to give a, a smoother, oilier finish. And he's been proven correct. And uh, so we're, we're delighted with the, the outturn. Uh -huh. Even the, the oldest we now have is six months. And it's great. And even younger spirit has been commended yeah. considerably by many people. Well, I should say that I'm sitting here at the moment with uh, a sample of new make. I think it came off the stills yesterday. <laughs> And judging by this, it's uh, it's very promising. You know, it's full of fruity character, a little bit of smoke in the background, yeah. but uh, you know, very very promising. Thank you. The smoke will come stronger uh, by the time of six months, and uh, we're fascinated. Everything is being matured in uh, fresh bourbon casks, freshly yeah. emptied bourbon casks, and so that's going to add a considerable amount to it. Later this year, we'll probably going to be doing some fillings into uh, Oloroso casks. We bought a number from Jerez. Uh, so I'm excited about that. And at the end of the day, whether it's four, five, six or seven years, we're in the happy position that we're not bound, that we've got to release by at least the end of a particular year. Yeah. The, the whiskey will tell us when it's ready to be bottled. Yeah and that's, we'll take the decision at that time. Yeah, and you know, I've just been on the tour uh, and it's clearly a very manual distillery. Uh, lots of valves that still need turned, uh, not, not so much in the way of automation. What drove that uh, way of thinking that you wanted it to be as manual as possible? Well, maybe not quite as manual as possible. There are still valves that operate automatically, but we like the artisanal effect and uh, with the, the worm tubs, with the long line arm, it made sense rather than have robots doing it yeah. at the beginning uh, that we wanted to have manual input all the way through the process. Yeah, and there's, there seems to be a real focus on the tradition of distilling. Uh, you know, this is uh, maybe harken back in many ways to how distilling took place uh, in, in the old school. Well, that's what we're trying to achieve. And hopefully from our point of view, we're, we're getting there. Yeah. Um, so some interesting features mm -hmm. that, that you mentioned, like the, the very long line arms that come in. Uh, you're using uh, worm tub condensers, uh, a, a slow distillation as well, mm -hmm. I think, and, uh, and and quite a long fermentation. Mm -hmm. uh, and and those are all in place to kind of uh, make sure you're achieving the the, the character in the whiskey that we wanted you're to. For. Well, exactly, we wanted to capture the idea that we have and that's the idea of the directors but obviously influenced considerably by Jim McEwen's input. Yeah and what, what kind of impact do you think you're having on Isla itself uh, as, the, as the newcomer? Is it difficult to come into an, an island like this and start afresh? Or how, how does that feel to you? It, uh, it hasn't been 
much of a problem, I've got to say, apart from the aforementioned uh, neighbours who have complained bitterly. Uh, I think, to be fair, the fact that I play on my Elach roots has had something to do with it. Um, I'm reasonably well known in the island, and uh, that, that apart, that apart, the distilleries have been extremely welcoming. It's lovely. It's part to me of the traditional whiskey business. We're all competitors, but they will help and they will give us their best wishes. And, and to be honest, it's a lovely feeling, and that comes from all the distilleries on this side of the island and from the other side of the island as well. Uh, all the managers were here when we opened uh, four or five weeks ago. Uh, we, we, got up, we had a lot of support, so really lovely. Fantastic. Okay, Stuart, thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you. That's it for Whiskey Talk this time from Campbelltown, Jura and Isla. We'll be back soon with more whiskey stories, but in the meantime, you can always get in touch with us by email at unfiltered at smws.com. Until the next time, cheers. Cheers.